Hello? Yeah, there we go. Uh, we're continuing our study uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Pastor Todd started us on that a couple of weeks ago, and we will be continuing uh, in that. And so if you'd like to, uh, and let me see in the Pew Bibles, it's on, what page is that? It doesn't have a page. 1187. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 4 through 14. Uh, we're gonna, well, we're going to back it up a little bit. We're going to start reading at the second part of uh, verse 3 in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, day to gather together and to worship you. We thank you for your word. I just pray for your strength and wisdom and grace uh, to present it faithfully and give us ears to hear what you would have to, to say to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to be clear, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, in some stories... Uh, the author gives you the name of the main character in the very first sentence. And on the other hand, some of them, um, other times the author kind of describes things and gives the setting and so forth, and then names the hero a little bit later on. Well, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Old Testament tells why we need him, and it points us toward him. And then the New Testament uh, tells about uh, his coming, his ministry, and that he's coming again. So it's all about him. Hebrews, too, just like the rest of it, is all about Jesus. And I find it intriguing, it isn't till the middle of the second chapter that the author names him. Of course, they didn't have chapters in the original thing, but chapter 2, right there in the middle, verse 9, it says, namely, Jesus. And that's the first time it has the name Jesus that it, that it tells it. But I assure you, 
that the one who is appointed and revealing and upholding and purifying and, and seated on high that pa- Pastor Todd was talking about the last couple of weeks, but, and yes, the one that is superior to angels is talking about Jesus, just to make that clear. Of course, you knew that because Pastor Todd looked ahead and uh, looked at some scriptures later in Hebrews, and he already told you that, so you knew that. So superior to angels, it says in verse 4. Um, so a little bit, who are the angels? We won't get to too much in the weeds on that, but I did want to bring that up. The, uh, the Greek for angel is angelos. So um, angel is pretty much a transliteration into the English of that. And other Romance languages kind of pick up on that. Uh, so you have Los Angeles, the angels, and it's like, I don't know where they went. I mean, oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, sometimes in the Old Testament, and it says, you know, it talks about angels and they're visiting and doing this and that. Sometimes it talks about the angel of the Lord. And then before you know it, it's talking about like it's the Lord. And a lot of scholars think that's most likely in some of those situations, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament times. And then sometimes the word angel it means messenger. Angelos means messenger is the primary meaning in the Greek. And sometimes it has to do with an actual human messenger. Uh, like in Matthew 11.10, uh, some of the messengers go from John the baptizer to Jesus to ask him some questions. And, and so it uses that word, angelos, but it's talking about just humans. But most of the time when we see angel in the Bible, it identifies uh, a certain kind of or order of created beings. And uh, these are uh, spirit beings. In verse 14, look down at verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? So they're primarily, they're they're spirit beings. And uh, sometimes, however, God allowed them to have a temporary visible form so they could more easily do their job, their job as a messenger, and so that the people to whom he sent them to give a message could see them. He gave them a visible form. So next slide, please. We just quickly take a couple of lo- a look at a couple of those. The uh, Joseph, this is, I mean, they appeared many times in the, New, in the Old Testament, but also uh, sometimes in the New Testament. This is uh, Joseph Jesus, earthly father, um, Joseph of Nazareth, and they appear to him in, in Matthew 120, uh, appear to him in a dream. Other times they appeared right in person. There's like Zechariah, that's uh, John the baptizer's father. He was a priest. He's in there offering uh, at the incense altar, uh, Luke 111, and the, the angel appears and tells him about, you know, John is going to be born. And then a little bit later in, in Luke 1, in 26, uh, an angel appears to Mary, uh, Jesus' earthly mother, and uh, gives a message to her. And then uh, later on in, in Matthew 28, verses 2 and following, at, at Jesus' resurrection, some of the women went to the tomb, and angels had rolled the stone away, and, and they, you know, one of them was sitting up there, and he goes, hey, yeah, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's... he's he rose from the dead. 
And then um, later on in Acts 5.19, we read about some of the apostles are in prison and um, an angel shows up and they, they see this angel who uh, encourages them and helps them on. So the, um, they're ministering spirits. One of the ways they minister is to be messengers. And one of the ways, back in, in verse 1 in uh, Hebrews there, when Pastor Todd was sharing a couple weeks ago, God spoke uh, to our fathers by the prophets. One of the ways that he communicated was he spoke to the fathers um, through the prophets and sometimes by the instrumentality of angels he communicated uh, long ago. And even in their own time, in the first century, in the, the immediate audience here in, in the first century as well, that uh, they were messengers and they spoke and brought messages from God to, to his people to whom he sent them. Well, in verse 4, it says that he is better than the angels. That's a key theme in the book of Hebrews, better, better. Everything's better, and it's all about Jesus. But he's better than angels. He's superior to angels. Now, how so? You know, what does that mean? Well, the second part of the verse uh, begins to point us in the right direction, I believe. You notice that word, as? There's two clauses in verse 4. And that as, or just as, is indicating a comparison. And so he's making a comparison, and that as is saying, okay, the superiority to angels in the first clause is in some way related to his more excellent name in the second clause, his more excellent name. So what is that name? Now, it amazes me how much scholarly discussion there is about that question. And, and I can see that because there's a lot of names and titles for Jesus. But the most obvious answer, it seems to me, given the immediate context in which the author has placed it, is son. The name that he's talking about here is the name, is the title, son. Back in verse 2, when Pastor Todd preached on a couple weeks ago, he's spoken to us by his son. And the immediately following uh, verse, you are my son. So that more excellent name is son, and it's talking about Jesus. Now, um, so he's called son, and that's a more excellent name. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is God's son? And, and when did that happen? You are my son, today I've begotten you. What it does not mean, what it does not mean, there are cults that teach wrongly that God the Father has a physical body, he had a carnal relationship with Mary, and produced Jesus. And, you know, they say Jesus is kind of a half-God, half-man being of some sort. And there are other religions that think that that's the kind of what Christians believe. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And there's some related uh, heresies over the centuries and, and still today that Jesus became divine at one point or another. These do not accord with biblical theology 
either. Now, one important thing, oh, yeah, next slide. I think I, yeah, son, I, I missed it, yeah. Son is that, that name. Um, one important thing to keep in mind is that God is God and we're not, right? He is infinite and we are finite. Next slide, please. You know, and, and Pastor Todd mentioned that theme. Uh, it was either last week or the week before he kind of mentioned that. Isaiah talked about this some time ago. Um, the Lord says through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is infinite, we're not. So we cannot fully and perfectly know God. We can't know him absolutely, but we can know him meaningfully. I don't mean to be discouraging about that because he loves us and he wants us to know him and to have a relationship with him. And so he has revealed himself to us. And so we can know him meaningfully, if not absolutely. I mean, we can't know each other absolutely, even spouses and parents and kids and stuff like that. We don't even know ourselves perfectly. So we can't, you know, know God absolutely. But just like we can know each other meaningfully, we can know God meaningfully because he's revealed himself to us. But for us to understand him at all, he has to communicate to us in ways that human minds can comprehend and that human language can express. And so the scriptures generally, and to varying degrees, depending on the kind of literature, whether it's letters or history or poetry or whatever, but generally the scriptures, and certainly here in the book of Hebrews, the Lord uses analogy and metaphor and various literary devices to communicate these absolute... uh, you know, that things that are incomprehensible, absolutely, but so we can know them in some way. And so what does this father-son analogy indicate? Well, father and son analogy indicates relationship and unity on the one hand, right, and yet a distinction on the other. So there's this unity and this relationship, but yet there's a distinction, Today I've begotten. The, the root verb is uh, genao, and the related noun is uh, genos. And one of the root meanings of that is kin. And so, um, or kind, kin and kind. And so a father and son are kin. A father and a son are the same kind. But the son is not the father not the same person. And so biblical theology expresses it that God the Father and the divine Son, that is Jesus, as well as the Holy Spirit, are all essentially, all in essence, one God and yet three distinct persons. And so that's kind of what this Father and Jesus as uh, Son is expressing. Now, it is certainly a mystery. It's not a, 
absolute contradiction, but it is a mystery. But given what we read in Isaiah, that it's a mystery, you should expect that. We should, you know, that should be expected. But Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. And that is very clear in Scripture, and it's expressed in many places. Pastor Todd, I think, has talked about it both of the last two weeks, about that uh, earlier uh, years ago when we studied John, when we studied Colossians. Those are ones that come in mind that very clearly express that, and there are others as well. But also, in the... um, The previous and the following verses in this very chapter of Hebrews, it acknowledges Jesus as God, Lord, Creator. And therefore, you know, in one sense, in that sense, Jesus has always been the eternal Son of God because He's God the Son. And so He's he's better, He's superior. Uh, Next Next slide. Also, in in verse 6 there, see it says, and again, he's talking about another way that Jesus is superior to the angels. And again, he brings the firstborn into the world. And here again, firstborn, there are other cults that wrongly teach that Jesus is a created being. Well, see, it says firstborn, right? And uh, they agree that he is superior because he's created first, but a creature nonetheless. That's not biblical. That's wrong. That does not, you know, firstborn, here again, we're using some analogies, metaphor. Uh, to understand the truth we, uh, of what this means in the context, the immediate and, and the broader biblical context, as well as the literary and historical and cultural context, we can better understand the analogy of Jesus as firstborn when we realize that in that time and place and culture, a literal firstborn son had unique authority and privileges and responsibility in the family. And so when it talks about Jesus in this verse and another one in Colossians, I believe it is, about Jesus as firstborn in this sense, it's talking about his unique and superior authority and privilege and responsibilities. And furthermore, we can see from the biblical context that Jesus is not just a created being. In fact, the very next phrase in that same verse, look in verse 6, he brings the firstborn in the world, and what does God the Father say? Let all God's angels worship him. That's God the Father calling on all the angels to worship Jesus. Now, who alone is to be worshipped? throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, who alone is to be worshipped? God, right? And here's God the Father saying, all, telling all these angels to worship Jesus. So the deity of Jesus is further explicitly reinforced as well in verses 8 and verses 10. Uh, let's go ahead and next slide. See in verse 8 there? But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God. Here's God the Father speaking to the Son, that is Jesus, saying, Your throne, O God. God the Father calling Jesus God. Right? Okay, next slide. 
Let's look at verse 10. Again, God the Father speaking to Jesus, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. God the Father addressing Jesus as Lord. So God the Father calls Jesus, God the Father himself calls Jesus Lord and God, and he calls on all the angels to worship him. Jesus is not just a created being. And looking and picking up there in in verse um, 10 and following as well, we see that another thing that Jesus is, um, is superior to the angels because the angels are created beings and Jesus is the creator. That's another way. They're creatures. He's creator. They are created beings. Jesus is the uncreated, eternal God. And verse 10 reinforces what Pastor Todd shared in in verse 2 there. Back up in verse 2, talks about uh, Jesus through whom he created the world. And then that's repeated again in, in 10 where it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. So he's talking about Jesus um, was with God the Father before the beginning and in the beginning with him created everything that was created, material and immaterial, and that includes the angels. So Jesus is creator, and so he's superior. And he goes on to talk about... um, contrasting Jesus, the creator, with the creation. He talks about the creation, the the earth and the heavens will one day perish, but it says you, that is you, Jesus, will remain. They will wear out like a robe, they'll roll them up, and like a garment, they'll be changed, but you, Jesus, are the same. Your, your, Your years will have no end. That's in in 11 and 12 down there. Um, They will, the earth and heaven will wear out like a garment. They're wearing out, it's wearing out right now. The physicists call it entropy. Things are winding down and burning up and burning out, slowing down. Entropy, it's wearing out. But before we get to that point, It says uh, it's going to be changed. Jesus is the same. Uh, Next slide. Okay, next slide. There we go. Jesus is changeless, but the earth and and the universe are changing. Uh, Before we wind all the way out, 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works on, on it uh, that are done on it will be exposed. So, yeah, it's going to not, we're not going to get all the way to the entropy before God intervenes. And then down in, in verse 13 of Second uh, Peter 3, he goes on and says, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
So entropy's happening right now. Before it is completed, and then renewing and making a new heavens, new earth. It's going to be changed. But Jesus, it says, remains. He has no end. He is eternal. He's not part of the creation. He's the creator. And also it says, down in 12, verse 12, you are the same. Jesus is the same. Because he doesn't need to change. He's perfect, right? He doesn't need to change. And in Hebrews, uh, later on, we'll get more into it in Hebrews 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he's God. And he's perfect. And so he doesn't need to change. Things need to change. You know, if they're not, not good enough, you want to get it better. Now, creation was very good. Creation was very good, but um, it's been corrupted. And it needs to be changed. It needs to be renewed for a renewed people to live in. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead. Next slide. We're continuing on here. Uh, now, another way is that he is superior is because Jesus is king. The angels are servants, and Jesus is king. In um, verse 7, look at verse 7 there, of the angels he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And um, in, in 7 there, you, there's, uh, that's like Hebraic parallelism. And so he kind of says something. You say it in a similar, uh, a similar thing. So in the parallel there, you see angels, ministers, angels and ministers are, are paralleled there. And then down in verse 14, let's take another look at that. Are they not all ministering spirits? We focused on the spirits when we talked about that, but now are not they all ministering spirits sent out to serve? And so um, it parallels angel and minister. So we see angel as minister, and it repeats it that they are ministering spirits using the adjectival form. Um, Minister. Now, minister means servant here. The word translated minister means servant, but it means a, a different kind. It's not real common in the New Testament. There's a much more common one that's sometimes translated servant or slave. There's a lot of discussion about slaves and masters in different places, or bond servant, bond slave. It's translated in different ways, but that's a different kind of servant or slave, and so this one is translated as uh, minister, and it's a less common used word, but it still means a kind of servant. And it is, uh, the word for minister in the Greek is a compound word, and it's made up of the words for people and the word for work. Word for people, word for work, and it means servant. Classically, in classical Greek, this would refer to a public servant, a government worker. And that has actually influenced our Western culture some. I mean, we have a lot of influence from biblical worldview in influencing Western culture, but also we have some, uh, we have some influence from the Greco-Roman uh, 
Western culture influence. And so still today, sometimes government officials are called ministers, right? The, the defense minister or the, the minister of the interior or something like that. We still use that language. I, I don't know. Interestingly, though, it seems that more and more they, we have czars instead of ministers. Lords, emperors instead of servants. and gobble- no, no, don't get me started on that. What happened to the public servants? Now they're public lords. But yeah, so um, minister. Uh, once in a while, uh, you know, it translates it. You know, once in a while, it's, the word is translated in some versions. It's translated uh, minister or servant at places. But mostly minister to differentiate it from uh, doulos, the, the bond servant or bond slave. And um, so in the Bible, though, generally it refers to ecclesiastical rather than a, a public service. And so here, of course, the angels specifically as servants of God. They're servants of God. What? What does it say down there in 14? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. We're among those. They ser- angels are to serve us. And so, angels are servants, and Jesus is the king. He's the king. Now, I, I, do, I will have to say that one place that I know of in the New Testament, it uses that word minister to refer to Jesus. And in fact, um, we'll be talking about that later on. It'll be uh, in Hebrews 8. But he's the better minister. And uh, we'll look at that text later. But right here, it's, it's contrasting Jesus with the angels. He's talking about relative to the angels. They're the, they're the servants. They're the ministers. And, and he is the king. Look at, um, at verse 8 there again. Uh, where... Your throne, throne, oh God. Who sits on a throne? Yeah, the king. is forever and ever. Scepter, who wields, you know, the scepter, that's the king. And so um, throne and scepter imply Jesus' kingship. And it's, you know, of course it says kingdom. Your kingdom is even more explicit. Jesus is the king. He, as eternal God, So he reigns, he has authority as eternal God, he's always had authority. As creator, he has always been sovereign over all creation. As sustainer of that creation, he continues and will always rule and reign over all he has made. So he's the king, he's superior because the angels are created servants and Jesus is the creating Lord and King. And Jesus' kingly authority is further acknowledged there in verse 13. And to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And this, um, this harkens also back to verse 3 that Pastor Todd shared with us last week. He's talking about how he upholds the universe and after making purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here in verse 13, Sit at my right hand. And so at the right hand indicates a special place of authority. Jesus is sitting as co-regent with God the Father, ruling not just a temporal kingdom, but an enduring and eternal kingdom. Okay. Next slide, please. 
And finally, Jesus is superior to the angels because he is the better messenger. As I said earlier, it seems that at times in the Old Testament, there's references to the angel as uh, referring to Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of him. But I don't know of anywhere in the New Testament that Jesus is identified by the term angel. But he is the consummate messenger. Angel means messenger, and Jesus is the consummate messenger. The beginning verses of Hebrews say that God communicated in various ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through the Son. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the 1960s, Canadian communication theorist Marshall McLuhan coined the phrase, the medium is the message. Now imagine you have a loved one who moves across the world thousands of miles away. Now in the old days, you might not hear from him or her for months or even years. But with modern communications technologies, it's not so bad nowadays, is it? You get on there and you got your chat, or you got your WhatsApp. And if her internet happens to be working, then you can kind of message back and forth. But, you know, it's just not the same, is it? You know, it's just, it's just not the same. And then you have disease and war and... Ongoing travel restrictions, carrier problems. You may not see each other for a long time. And, you know, imagine you're messaging. You're just really longing for that, that dear one. And you, you're messaging, and I really miss you. And I miss you too. And, and you know, and I love you. I love you too. But I'm really missing you. When am I ever going to see you again? Send. And then you get a message and it says, open the door. And you go, open the door? What does that mean? Go to the front door, pull it open. What? You know, there she is. And you're like, oh, you squeeze. And you know, the tears are running down. You're just, oh, you're so excited. And at that moment, the messenger, you know, the, the messenger becomes the message. And the message is the messenger. And that's what Jesus has done for us in Jesus. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and and we've seen his glory, glory as the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. The angels bring messages for God and about God. And Jesus brought messages as God. The angels and the prophets brought messages about salvation. Jesus is our salvation. He became Emmanuel, God with us, the better messenger. Let's pray. Jesus, you're better You're better, and we acknowledge that you are better in essence, and you're higher in authority. 
We are grateful that you are also the better messenger. You tell us in your word that you love us. In fact, your word says also God is love. Thank you for embodying that love. And Jesus, we long for your return when your people can again see you face to face. We thank you for your spirit to be with us and in us until then. Amen. We're not angels. <laughs> I'm speaking for myself. I probably can pretty safely speak for you as well. But, um, but we too can be messengers. Remember, angelos, it means messenger. You know, there's a related Greek word. There's angelos as angel, and then euangelion, and that's a compound word. It means good message. And it's translated often as Gospel, euangelion, the gospel, the good news. So you can be a messenger by sharing the good message as you have opportunity. So be a good angel, be a good angelos this week, and go in the power of the Spirit. Amen.